You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Good evening and you're very welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and on tonight's programme we're covering lots of topics ranging from pig farming to veganism to a non-alcoholic drink. Yes indeed, it's a mixture of chats thanks to a visit to Caroline Rigney in Curachias, County Limerick where a B&B houses guests and a farm houses pigs, piglets, horses, ducks, hens, a fierce looking bull and of course a few dogs. Danny Trapp, sales manager with Wexford based brewery Yellow Belly Beer. He'll be explaining how a collaboration with Wicklow's Black Castle Drinks produced a pioneering product. And finally, our last guest this evening is fashion journalist and broadcaster Holly White. Holly is passionate about style, natural beauty and plant-based eating. She's going to talk to us about her vegan journey and has some tips to share if you would like to enjoy a plant-based diet just like her. If at any point you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can drop me an email to s.noonan at live.ie or I'm on Twitter. So feel free to tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. So to start the show off tonight, we're off out on my travels. Caroline Rigney and her husband Joe produce a range of award-winning products on their farm just down the road from where I live and just down the road from Currachase Forest Park in County Limerick. On a fresh but thankfully not too cold morning last week, I put on the thermals and I packed up the wellies and I took a spin out to the beautiful countryside to meet Caroline and her gorgeous grandson, baby Daniel. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Caroline, you have a few new additions to the farm here this year for 2018. Already in 2018, yes. We have uh, we have a sow who's been here a good few years now. She was in with the saddleback there in about September. So they had a very prolific union and there was 18 bonhams born yesterday. The breed is the saddleback, the daddy, and the sow herself is a landways cross. So they're not exactly a uh, recognised breed, but they're they're great. They're a great um, cross, should I say? Yeah, that's the word. And you're a great woman for multitasking, as we can hear hear yeah. from baby Daniel, who's yes. part of the the clan now. I'm looking after my grandson. My daughter has just come back to work after having Daniel, and he's now ten months old. And uh, in theory, he's helping me, but uh, I'm not too sure. It's great to to be able to get out and about in the fresh air at this time of year. It's not as cold at the moment as it has been, but it must be very demanding doing all these different jobs and helping out with the the family as well. Well, I'm not a full-time carer for Daniel now. Um, It would be difficult to to juggle all the jobs around here. Uh, Today is just a special day that we have Daniel here. And um, Eliza is at school down in Kilcornan. So... Um, no, the biggest the biggest issue here now has been what it has been for the last couple of months is rain. It has been raining incestuously. And what problems does that pose for you here in the farm? Just makes life more difficult. You know, the pigs are free range. They're outdoors. If you fall, you fall in the mud. It's just not nice. Does that happen often? It does. I'm afraid. Yes. I'll have to watch my steps. So. Do I think you should be careful because the pigs now? It's now what time is it, Sharon? It's gone 10 a.m. in the morning. And feeding time is usually 8.30, so they're going to be ready for us. So, Well, tell me about the pigs and the type of meat that they produce, because you do produce award-winning rashers and sausages and black puddings. Well, I genuinely believe that the rare breed animals are far better. 
uh, predominantly we have Saddleback and Tamworth. Tamworth being my favourite. But as I say there, we have a saddle, we have a, a land race sow. She's an old pet. She's here because I happened to buy her at a moment of weakness and uh, probably wouldn't have been my first choice to have. But, you know, we love her now to bits. And as you can see, she certainly pays her way. You have a great story about how you got into farming. Tell us about that. Um, well, it was a sort of gradual thing. It was really more a lifestyle thing than a plan to be a, a farmer. Um, it kind of grew up. It, it kind of grew on us. It caught up with us. Like I wanted lifestyle for the kids and for myself. And I suppose then I seen an opportunity that maybe if I made product that I could sell, it was a way back into the marketplace or into the workplace. Should I say for me? I was an early school leaver, as was my husband. We were both working at 16. And then I was a stay-at-home mother until the kids basically finished secondary school and I began to think, what now? So by making the sausages and the rashers and in a small way, only selling them from the house, I gradually eked my way into the workplace, which for me would have been daunting. Now, since that, I've done loads of courses and I've met loads of like-minded people and... Now, if I were to go back, I'd probably go the education route because now I have the confidence, but that wasn't there at that time, you know. So it, it, was, a, it was a way, a route to market, if you like, for a, an education and a job for me. You're in a fabulous location here in Curragias and it's a very, I think, fascinating story about how you ended up here because you, you were just out driving one day and you came across the site. Well, we were actually down visiting family in, in Limerick, in Limerick City. Um, because where are you from originally? We're originally from County Westmead. Joe is a very talented stonemason and uh, paving contractor, as he was at the time, working mostly around Dublin. So to save the commuting, we moved to Kildare when, in 1991, I believe. And we were there for eight years. But the bug got us. We were living in a small house in suburbia. And uh, we started looking to see, could we buy a bit of land up round Dublin? Realising that it was actually telephone numbers for prices instead of prices. So we were disappointed many times. We'd go and look at a piece of land and realise that it was way out of our reach and never were going to be able to afford it. So by chance we were down in Limerick and we went for a drive in Chase, which was the always the done thing when we were down visiting the Rigneys in Limerick. And... Um, seen the site for sale and we thought Janie will we could we would we because we Joe, Joe's brother was working in Limerick Joe's brother was sergeant in Limerick at the time yeah so we, we would have been in regular contact with them and he was always telling us how great Limerick was and like Limerick was the moon as far as we were concerned at that stage and uh, no we found the site and we took a chance on it and we bought it and because the rest is history. And Joe built the house himself, but first of all, he started off with what is now the farm shop. It was a garage, and you lived in there initially. We did, yeah. We were Well, we were building the house. We had local employment, like we had a block layer that was working away while we were up and down every weekend. And we were down building stone wall, the, f- the front on the garage, as it was then, as it was going to be. And we just thought to ourselves, gee, because, you know, where are we going to live anyway? We were looking to rent somewhere and there was nowhere to rent and the budget was limited and we just thought, Jeannie, will we finish the garage altogether and move in there? And that's what we've done. We got the garage finished for September for the kids starting school in Kilcarnan and uh, moved in there and we were there for the most of a year. Cold winter. 
Was it a cold winter? You remember it well it by the looks winter. of it. I won't forget it in a hurry. Yeah, it was a tough winter, but sure, you know, we got through it. And then when you built the house, did you intend to have it as a and b or is that something that evolved over time? We had an intention in, the, in our head and it kind of evolved as well. So by 2005, we were ready to say, you know, we'll actually open it as a and b Bear in mind, I'd never done anything in hospitality or anything. So I was a bit intrepid going forward. And it was really only that I, I did register with Board Falch as it was at the time. And I let other B&Bs know that I was there if there was overbookings. And we got a website going. And um, that was all very new to me. And I uh, got a few bookings actually from full B&Bs. That was how it started. So like Colleen House down there, an Orchard B&B in Newcastle. They would have sent me people when they were full. And uh, from there it sort of grew. Then, you know, got quite busy. Like for the first five or six or seven years, it was just ticking over. There was just really not a lot happening. But it was all learning for me. And then um, the last two years, I suppose, I was quite busy with the B&B. Um, meet a lot of nice people, different people, interesting people. But off the beaten track, you really only get um, nice people that have want to come here. You get the odd one that, you know, can be difficult, but sure, that's life. Absolutely. Such, such is life. And it is fairly labour intensive looking after all the farm animals and yeah. welcoming people into the B&B. But in actual fact, it was a mixture of all of those things that brought your latest product to market. That's right. So like for the B&B, when I started the B&B in 2005, I had the, the couple of pigs. I was making rashers and sausages for ourselves. And I thought, you know, wouldn't it be a grand, unique selling point to have my own rashers and sausages? So that really got the pork products going for me. And as guests tasted it, they realised it was a different product. So that gave me more encouragement. As I say, I wasn't from a foodie background or an educated background or I didn't have the food degree that gave me the confidence to do that. It all came gradually. And as that grew and I had the farm shop open, I was open on a Sunday selling produce, it was getting good rapport from people and winning awards as well. Then I thought to myself, well, you know, the breakfast is grand, now it's all off the farm, but there's the cornflakes and the, and the bran flakes. If I made an ice granola, I thought it would really round it off. So I started making a granola about five or six years ago, I suppose. And um, the guests loved it straight away. They just said it was, wow, it was a wow factor for them. And it worked really well if you had someone that didn't necessarily eat meat or you had a vegetarian or something like that, or they didn't want the heavy meat for breakfast. It really gave them a lovely breakfast, you know, and it was had the homemade touch to it and they loved it. So it was the guests that encouraged me to start producing that as a product. I never thought of that really. That wasn't somewhere I thought I was going in my head. Is that because they were asking you for the recipe and, and you were sharing it with yeah, them? Yeah, pretty much. And then I just said to myself one day, you know, maybe I should be doing this myself. And um, I made inquiries as to how to go about that. I ended up doing a course inside in Limerick with Leap, which was a great course. It was business orientated. Um, great learning, great mentors. Uh, it's available for anyone to do, I believe. Um, so if you have an idea, go and make inquiries from the Leo. They're always very helpful. That's the local enterprise office. Uh, and from there, I done the New Frontiers business development program, which gave me huge insights into how big business works. 
and uh, the granola is out there now. It's in 11 shops and it's in a local restaurant. It's in um, Longcourt House in Newcastle West, the new hotel that's just opened and it's in Dunmore House Hotel in West Cork. So all the top-notch places oh, are yeah. using it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are the best? <laughs> and you've had a lot of success with it last year. Last year was a great year for it. Actually, starting with the Great Taste Awards in 2016, it went to London and got two-star gold. And then it went on in the October of that year to win the La Soul Food Fair in the baked food section. And then the icing on the cake was last October. I got gold in Blossna Heron. So that was really three very prestigious awards, one after another. And it's very unusual to get a gluten-free granola. A gluten-free granola that's tasty. Like there's lots of gluten-free products out there, and the gluten-free market is very, very much growing. And um, it's uh, it's a good spot to be in, and it's really tasty product. It is lovely now. Mm-hmm. I, there's one. There's two different varieties. Two there's kinds. one so there's of them the is my berry preference. And, there's the goji berry and flame raisins, and there's the whole peak and cinnamon and date. Yeah, um, I love the goji berry yeah. one. It's my favourite. I think cinnamon is something you either love it or hate it, but the people that love it love it, and you know it's. Horses for courses, I guess. So you have a pretty extensive range now. Will you list off everything that you're selling at the moment? So at the moment I have the homemade sausages, the rashers, the black and white pudding, obviously the fresh pork, the bacon, the hams. I do sausage meat for restaurants that do sausage rolls, which is very popular. Oh, so Lizzie's Little Kitchen, yeah. Lizzie's yes. Little Kitchen down in Listowel. They'd be great fans of, of my sausage meat. And then, of course, Lizzie makes a unique sausage roll, which really works very well. People love it. And that's a great customer for me to know before I go to the market, I've got one big sale. You know, it's sort of, it's great to know that before you go out. Because you're in Listowel on a Friday. I am in Listowel Market every Friday and Joe is in Killaloo every Sunday. And we're just going to have a little peek here at this size. How many piglets does she have there? So she has 18 there at the moment now and uh, we're going to have to do something with them soon because they're getting boisterous. So we'll split them now shortly and we'll operate out of two stables and uh, it'll stop the babies fighting because they... She'll, she'll do shifts in each She'll do shift work, that's it, basically, yeah. yeah, like any busy mother. Yeah, yeah. so how, they're only a few days old. They were only born yesterday. But yeah. they're tiny, they're very cute at this age. They're cute at this age. It doesn't break your heart that they're going to go down the, well, the route that they have to go down. Do you know, it, it still does a little bit. Um, it's a It's a fact of life if you're doing that 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 is the end and you know no matter how often you do it certainly for me it doesn't get any easier um it just that's all i can say it doesn't get any easier because people would say i'm so mad to be thinking like that but then yeah you know it's the nature of farming appreciate that you know i fully appreciate that one of those little pigs has to give their life to sustain my life and my family Absolutely, so yeah. for that reason i have to appreciate them and look after them as best i can and you have hens here as well hens and ducks and geese and they're just there really. did you mention a rabbit earlier no well that was where it probably all started with the kids having rabbits years ago and you have a couple of horses in, in, insanity as it was um couple of horses, yeah, well, the, the horses were just with the kids when they were younger, and they're just here now. Any plans to add any other animals in 2018? Uh, no, I hope <laughs> not. <laughs> other than uh, the natural birth process, the natural cycle, with no other breeds or, or types or 
descriptions, no. Well, come here. Thanks a million for having me today. Ah, you're you, you're a busy woman. I am indeed, as um, you can hear. I'll get the wellies on now between, and, and give you a hand. Clearing, between the two-legged ones and the four-legged <laughs> clearing ones. Clearing out and mucking out here. That's and of it. course, thanks to baby Daniel as well. Yes, he was great help in there. He was, he was in charge of acoustics. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Caroline. Thanks, Sharon. Thanks very much. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break, I was doing a spot of farming with Caroline Rigney at Rigney's Farm in Currachase, County Limerick. If you missed that and you're just tuning in, you can catch up on Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am. And the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. And it's also on the taste.ie website voted Ireland's best online digital food and drink magazine. Still to come tonight, I'll be putting a call into fashion journalist and broadcaster Holly White to hear about her vegan journey and get some tips about how to enjoy a plant-based diet. But before that, if you enjoyed the benefits of dry January or if you're often the designated driver on nights out and you're looking for a new refreshing drink, you'll be interested in hearing from my next guest. Danny Trapp is sales manager with Wexford-based brewery Yellow Belly Beers and they've teamed up with Wicklow's Black Castle Drinks to launch a dry hop soda for adults with no alcohol but lots of flavour. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Danny, you're very welcome to the programme this evening and we're very excited about hearing about Designated Diver, which is specifically for designated drivers, teetotalers and anybody else that's going out for a night or doesn't fancy an alcoholic drink. Exactly. Um, yeah, so we um, we were really excited. We were kind of big admirers of, um, of Black Castle Drinks, who are um, a Wicklow soft drink manufacturer and uh, whenever we were looking for a nice um, non-alcoholic option, we were always drawn to their drinks. So we were got in contact with them and asked them if they'd be um, if they were going to be happy to work with us. So we came up with a designated diver, which they came up with um, the soft drink base. So it's a lemon and pear soft drink um, that we give them the yellow belly treatment. So we brought that down to our brewery. Uh, we dry hopped it with citra and humalon hops, which are usually usually added in flavoring of beer. Um, and then we um, carbonated and packaged it here in um, in Wexford. So, yeah, we're really excited to be able to offer the non-drinker or, as you said, someone just looking for a nice, refreshing flavour without, without the alcohol. So is it more like a, a fizzy soft drink or is it more like a beer or is it just a hybrid of the two? Yeah, well, I suppose flavour-wise, it'll be closer to um, a soft drink, um, but then with our own kind of crappier twist on it. So hops are um, they're a green flower that are used to bitter and flavour beer. So they're a small part of the beer production um, kind of recipe development. So by adding that, uh, you kind of get a little bit of a, a hoppy, kind of fruity finish that you could attribute to the hops. But then the main kind of flavour would be coming from the lemon and pear soft drink. So we're, we're more we're marketing as a kind of a soft drink for adults rather than a beer alternative. So it's um, someone looking for kind of that great refreshment but without um, without the alcohol. How long did it take to come up with the, the right level of ingredients or the right mix of ingredients? Yeah, well, it was done over an afternoon. Um, John and Reva from Black Castle came down with a few different flavours flavors, and we kind of 
blended and mixed them um, together until we found one that we were happy with. Um, and then Declan, our brewer, brought in some different hops and we literally just added those hops to the to the drink um, to, to see which which one we which which flavor we wanted to go for. But it was done over an afternoon. So it was a fun maybe two hours over over the table trying out different combinations. Then obviously we had to we had to scale it up then um, and and put it into a bigger batch size. But um, yeah, a couple of hours really, and we were. We were all happy with the direction it was going in. It is very unique and novel packaging, but that's something that your brewery, Yellow Belly Beers, are known for. Yeah, we're very lucky here. We employ a local guy, Paul Reck, and he's been with us in the brewery since day one. Um, and he does all our artwork for us. So we know it's craft beer, especially now it's a very kind of crowded marketplace. So you need something to be able to stand out and jump off the shelves. And we're lucky to have Paul um, on board. And he kind of he commissions a unique piece of artwork for each beer that we do, whether it be on tap or whether it's on can. And um, it all has a unique imagery to it, which is great. It helps us stand out. And we always say Paul, our designer, will make everyone pick up our beer for the first time. But then obviously our brewing team makes people go back to it for the second and third time but if you don't have both now you're kind of at nothing in a, in the craft beer world so it'll be brand that'll be a massive part of our uh, of our brewery yeah. Tell us um, about the other beers that you make there in the microbrewery Yes yeah, so we do we have a core range of which is a citra pale ale um, and a Keller beer which is um, an unfiltered uh, Hellas style lager and um, they'd be available all year round through all good independent stockists um, as well as super values and centres and then we also brew a new beer every month that goes into keg and cans. That could be anything from, we do a passion fruit sour quite regularly. We do dark red ales, we do stouts, double IPAs. Um, you know, we'd be quite uh, quite inventive and quite on trend. And then we do small um, small batch brewing as well that goes all into kegs where we can be even, even more experimental because there might only be 30 kegs for that particular beer. And once it's out there, it's kind of sold through on a weekend and then we hit it with a new beer next week. So... And um, we've done over over 300 different beers since we started in May 2015. So it's a testament to our brewers that uh, always manage to come up with new new recipes and new flavors. And um, it keeps them excited as well. You come into work every week and think of a new beer to brew. And um, so it keeps them on their toes and keeps keeps them excited. And your markets then is it all being sold within Ireland or do you do any export? No, no, we do export. So. Um, we have 32 county coverage um, in Ireland across bars and off licenses, and then we also export um, to the UK, um, as well as Britain, Scotland, Wales, uh, England, um, and then also to Holland, uh, Italy, um, and then we've just started negotiations then as well with um, few distributors in France, um, Estonia, Finland, and Spain as well. So hopefully we'll get them over the line in the next few weeks. So um, no, we're starting to kind of build ourselves as a good export to the international brand now as well which is great great to see reviews popping up all over Europe online and um, which is exciting for us and which is very important in what you've just described as a very crowded market so you know just to get that coverage and then also to have a very unique packaging and very distinctive packaging that all gives you the edge exactly yeah. I mean you're you're up against some of the best breweries in the world as soon as you start to export so um you need to be able to stand out in that marketplace. Like we've always, we've kind of always kept away from marketing ourselves as an Irish brewery or, um, you know, having a big element of Ireland on our cans because that'll only get you so far. Um, 
we you know we see our contemporaries as big breweries in the UK, big breweries in America, big breweries across Europe. So to be able to live up to them, you gotta you gotta have everything right. And um, but then look, you'll always be you know the best package in the world and best brand in the world. But unless your beer matches up to it, you'll be quickly quickly forgotten about. Um, so it's about us keeping up quality control and make sure nothing goes out that doesn't kind of reach our high standards. Um, but um, yeah, no, it's exciting times. And it must be very important then to have some novel marketing type activities. And you did just that before Christmas because you launched a video game. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, Hop Rocket. Um, that was launched by Paul, our designer, and Seamus, our marketing manager. Um, and it's just, yeah, something like it's always trying to create content. We do a lot of comic books as well. So for a lot of our beer releases, uh, we team them around comic book releases that we, we print out physically and drop around pubs and off licenses. And we also have... Um, an online kind of database of all our um, all our comments over the years. So that's like we've kind of brewed beer for the kind of market that we're selling into. Kind of comic book nerds, video game nerds, people like ourselves who grew up um, with that kind of stuff in our lives. So just trying to bring out the bring out the child and all the adults, I suppose. Um, and uh, yeah, the video game is a great success, and it's something that no one else is doing. And it's really important for us to try and keep on, but also kind of create our new trends to do something that um, excites us and that's new. Um, so yeah, no, that was a good success. Something to, something to talk about anyway. So, what is the vision then, and your objectives for twenty eighteen and into the future? What is it that you want to achieve for the brewery? And um, yeah, let's we'll keep up our and um, what we've been doing in Ireland and um, grow local as much as we can as well. We finally got to the stage where we're selling as much beer in our own town, which would be Wexford, than we are in Dublin and the rest of the country, which is always very important for us because you know unless you unless you own your own town, you no know, distributor or no you know importer will kind of look at you seriously. And um, so, kind of really establish our our foothold in Wexford in Ireland, and then also yeah, grow to to be as big as we can in Europe um, and go toe to toe with some of the breweries over there. So yeah, that's the that's the plan. And do you sell directly to the to the pubs and to the retailers, or what way do you distribute in Ireland? Yes, yeah, so we um we sell all our keg accounts and our keg sales we manage directly in house. Package like our our cans and bottles, they'd be looked after by a distributor called Four Corners. Um, but we back them up obviously as well. We have people on the ground and brand ambassadors and we back them up as, as much as we can as well for the for off licenses and supermarkets. Um but yeah we look everything is it's a small industry and it's a small share of the market so you kinda of have to be doing a lot of it yourself. Um but that's important as well and people buy off people so um having the people on the ground and having those relationships is very important to like small small manufacturers and producers like ourselves. So you do a lot of miles, you're out in the road a lot. We would be, yeah, yeah. It's myself and a girl called Enya Barron, we'd be kind of the main sales. Um, and yeah, we cover the, the whole of Ireland between the two of us. So it's, uh, it's a, lot of, a lot going. Well, a great idea. And it's always great to see collaboration between artisan producer companies. And I've met Black Castle Drinks in the past and, and love their sodas. So I've no doubt that this is going to be another huge success for them and for you. If people want to find out where their nearest stockist is, where should they go to get that information? Yeah, so um, for, for Limerick anyway, they, they should try number 21 or O'Brien's in Limerick City. Um, they're both stocking the beer um, and then also across Ireland all good independent off licenses and super values um, will be stocking it um, and also all good bars as well so um, but go in and demand it and uh, if you don't see it in your shop the only way you'll get it in is asking for it Absolutely. so uh, we'd, also, we'd also encourage that as well Absolutely great advice there Danny thanks so much for telling me about it this evening and best of luck with it
No problem. Thanks for your time. Talk to you soon. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break, Danny Trapp, sales manager with Wexford-based brewery Yellow Belly Beers, was telling us about a collaboration with Wicklow's Black Castle Drinks to launch a dry hop soda for adults with no alcohol but lots of flavour. And earlier in the programme, I was pig farming, yes I was, with Caroline Rigney at Rigney's Farm in Courageous. And if you missed that and you're just tuning in, you can catch up on Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am. And the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. And it's also on the taste.ie website, voted Ireland's best online digital food and drink magazine. Now, time for the final interview of this evening, and it's with Holly White. Holly is passionate about style, natural beauty, and plant-based eating, and she's going to talk to us about her vegan journey and has some tips to share if you would also like to enjoy a plant-based diet. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Holly, you're very welcome to the programme this evening. You're a vegan. Tell us about your journey to be to becoming a vegan because it didn't happen overnight for you. No, not at all. And I suppose up until I was 30, I would have kind of eaten, I suppose, whatever. And whilst I was conscious that my meat was organic where possible and free range, um, I still ate meat. And then in and around when I turned 30, um, I got Netflix and I watched a huge amount of documentaries, most notably Cowspiracy, um, Forks Over Knives. And it really changed my perspective in terms of environmentally. I hadn't realized the impact that eating meat was having on the likes of climate change. And if I'm honest, I've always been the kind of person that worried a lot. Like I'd watch the news and see the ice caps melting and polar bears starving and the Amazon and I'd feel very powerless. And for me, what was really, I suppose, exciting was that by slightly adjusting my diet, I was having a change. You know, I I was impacting positive global change. And so I tried it out and I'd always been intrigued by vegan and vegetarian food. And I think it nicely coincided with the likes of a lot of bloggers and, you know, such as Deliciously Ella, kind of bringing out dedicated vegan websites. And I have to say, I got really intrigued in terms of it's a different way of eating. It's a different style. You have to do a different weekly shop. When I go out, I might be ordering off a different part of the menu. But I have to say, I got hooked very, very quickly. I got excited about cooking for the first time in years. And it's really just snowballed. And I suppose most importantly for me, I feel better than I ever have. My skin cleared up, which was really important. I used to have a lot of rosacea, red patches, bumps on the tops of my arms. And I think when I removed primarily red meat and dairy, for me, that made a huge impact to my skin. So I was delighted kind of all around. It hasn't been easy, but it's definitely been a positive change. How long have you been vegan for? At this stage, four years. So, um, I mean, I suppose it's important to outline that veganism is, it's a very global term. Um, it actually encompasses an entire lifestyle. So that would be some 
you know, there are different levels of it. And my guideline is, is that I think people should do whatever suits them. But it's more, I would say that like my diet is plant-based because my diet is completely vegan. But I'm quite conscious of sustainability, but I would have, say, some leather shoes. And like people who are staunch vegans wouldn't um, go to a zoo. Or I mean, one thing that is great is that actually now Ireland has outlawed the use of wild animals in circuses. So I think overall there is this movement towards um, I suppose looking at animals in a different way, but really strict vegans wouldn't have any element of anything that could involve animal cruelty in their lifestyles. But for me, first and foremost, it is my diet, which is completely vegan. And all of my cosmetics are completely cruelty-free as well. And I think that's another area that people might not be aware of. Um, And basically, the legal side of it is that if any products want to export into the Chinese market legally, they have to be tested on animals. So a lot of the bigger brands, um, this is just a legal requirement. But personally for me in my writing and my blogging, I try and find um, you know, companies that might offer just as good results um, from the products but just aren't involved in that arena. You have written a, a blog about tips for embracing a vegan diet and you say there yeah. about being social and going out and it can be quite yeah. challenging. In the past four years since you've turned vegan, have you noticed that there is an improvement when you go to restaurants that you do have more choice or that you're catered for with more empathy than you would have been before? You know, I think it's been brilliant that social media exists because initially this was something I was kind of doing at home and I was lucky that my husband's not a vegan but he just loves food and he got kind of excited that, as I said, again, for me, I got really excited and I was trying different recipes. So, you know, it has kind of reinvigorated the kitchen, so to speak. But equally, it coincided with, I suppose, social media becoming quite a big thing. And now, um, once I became a bit more confident about it, one of the tips I do say is, is almost don't say anything for a couple of months to people because you don't want the pressure, you don't want the questions. It's not for everyone at all. But once I'd reached a certain stage, um, let's say, for example, if we were going to Kerry, maybe I might have been working down there, I used to tweet and I'd say, can anyone recommend anywhere, you know, to go and get great vegan options in Kerry? And I found social media is an incredibly powerful, free tool. And then people would recommend things and say, oh, there's a great veggie burger there or that place does really good coffee and they have dairy-free options as well. So I found if you put a little bit of effort and for me, social media has really just changed the game. And as I said, it's a free resource. And it hasn't been too difficult. But what I did try and outline in the article was food is a way of coming together. It's a way of meeting your friends. And I think it's very important to never use whatever diet you might be following um, as an excuse to isolate yourself because that's entering into unhealthy territory on so many levels. So for me, when I'm out, I'll be flexible. And it's about the company more than anything and sometimes I will put together a meal from some of the sides and my friends are all talking into a really hearty steak or whatever but I don't mind Um, it's just important to make sure you might have eaten before and uh, look at the menu but don't expect to have multiple options unless you're in a dedicated vegan restaurant. Yeah, one of your tips is to ring ahead, like be prepared. You're talking about doing research there yeah. via social media and the internet. And the social media, it can be very instant, so it doesn't have to be a time-consuming trawl for a place no, that you're going not at to. All. 
Yeah, um, and the ring ahead really would be more for, um, say, for example, we had our girls' Christmas dinner, which is an annual thing that we, you know, it's me and my group of friends, and especially now that everyone is kind of busy and there's babies and work, and it's the one date in the calendar that doesn't move. And I um, I offered to book, and I picked a place that I kind of knew had a few vegan options, but I let the restaurant know. I said, listen, just so you know, I am, I am vegan. And they said, that's not a problem. We can adjust this and this. And to me, it sounded delicious. But what I find is if you give people the tiniest bit of notice, they're so happy to be obliging. Um, most places now will have you know, one, if not several, vegetarian options. And if you let them know in advance, it's very easy for them to just tweak and tailor something. And I think it's a courtesy, especially when you're booking and um, they're very appreciative. And I, I remember that dinner in particular, I had a good few options and I was absolutely delighted. Um, but I do think it's courteous of people. I mean, that would apply to even, like, say, for example, with veganism, um, sometimes the vegan option might suit if people were allergic to the likes of eggs or dairy as well. So if you had an allergy or if you were diabetic or whatever, you would ring and equally you still have to treat veganism a little bit like that. But I find places are so open and obliging. And whenever it comes to takeaways, then your top tip is the the vegetarian Thai curry with tofu. Yeah. What's tofu I, like? I think I've tried oh, tofu before and it didn't really do anything for me. Just tell us a bit has, about tofu. Tofu, it has to be prepared. Basically, it's... um. It's a soy protein and it's very neutral. It's not dissimilar to chicken where, you know, boiled chicken wouldn't do anything for anyone. Equally, plain tofu wouldn't do much. And similar to, you know, when you're dealing with plainer meats with vegan food, you have to invest in a spice drawer. You have to get into flavors. Um, so tofu is basically, it's a very neutral vegan protein. Um, I find in Asian culture, they would use a lot of it. And actually, I was... At, um, we were on honeymoon um, in Thailand over Christmas and we went to the market and you see them making it straight away, but they will season it. And I think once it, 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 it will absorb any flavors really, really well. And once it's seasoned, um, it tastes absolutely delicious. But I think in terms of takeaway on Camden Street in Dublin, there is actually a vegan chipper, which is kind of amazing. And they have like chicken wings and sausages that are all made by, it's a fabulous Irish company called Moodley Manor that does, um, vegan meats if that's what you want if you're craving because sometimes you do want that kind of chicken nuggety sort of texture um, and they actually have a separate fryer so there isn't any cross-contamination between the meat being fried and so it's it's an amazing anyway it's on Camden Street right beside the palace that's a vegan chipper but yeah if people are ordering kind of quickly online I find um Asian is superb and they use a lot of tofu and they will give it a really rich kind of a flavor. And I'm sorry that you had a bad experience, but if you let me cook you a piece of tofu, I can make it taste delicious. Well, I look, need. I'll definitely take you up on that sometime. Yeah. I look forward to it. Um, Perfect. You're talking there about protein and getting your vitamins and your nutrients. And yes. a lot of that is found in meat products such as red meat, chicken and fish. So if you cut that out, where yeah. are your what are your go to foods to ensure that you're getting enough protein and all those well, essential vitamins in your diet? Well, I suppose it's really important to actually remember that a cow build is building its protein from a vegan diet, you know, primarily grass. Um, and they're getting a lot of their nutrients. You know, there's a lot of 
animals such as elephants, giraffes that are absolutely enormous, extremely strong horses wouldn't eat any meat protein either. So it's important to kind of realize that there is protein in every food. It's just important to balance it. Um, in terms of calcium, like spinach, almonds, broccoli, we have a huge amount. Lentils, actually, gram for gram, have more protein than beef. It's just these are things that we might not be familiar with. Like I hadn't really used lentils or chickpeas or different pulses before. Um, but equally, I knew how to do a lot with mints. It's just, it's about, you know, because that was what I had grown up with eating. And it's just about educating and changing. And what I will say is great is pulses are so unbelievably cheap. And I think a lot of people might worry, like financially, can I afford to eat this way? And it is incredibly economical and um, to do it and to do it well. And actually, the happy bear have a brilliant video up on YouTube and it's um, three meals a day, seven days a week for 20 euro, all vegan. And they go in and they actually, um, they go in and they buy the produce in super value. It's not as if they're buying it in a farmer's market or a cash and carry or something like that. And when you are eating your lentils, your pulses, your grains, um, I'd make a lot of hummus, which I love. Y you will actually ensure that you are getting all the nutrients that you need. Avocados contain the omega-3 that people would associate with salmon as well. And equally, there's a lot of great vegan proteins that you can supplement with. Like say, for example, my husband, he would do a lot of training, a lot of CrossFit. And um, I have a vegan protein that if I'm making a smoothie or a shake, I might just put some of that in for him. And um, so if people are concerned, they can always supplement um, but generally, if you are eating a balanced diet, if you are getting your pulses in, your fresh vegetables, lots of nuts, grains, seeds, um, you shouldn't notice any deficiencies. And the happy pair have been great for the vegan yeah. movement because they're vegan yeah. themselves and they are the picture of health, the two of them. I know. And energy. I can't get over it. Anytime I see them, I just I can't believe that they've been up. But we've been out and we've done the swim at half four in the morning. And I remember being blown away. I thought they'd turn up and take a picture and head on. Um, but actually, they stay there for about an hour. Everyone gets in and rain, hail or shine. And they are they are a phenomenal testament to just health and wellness. And I, I, I suppose it's very inclusive what they do. What I love about that morning swim ride is that anyone turns up and it's just if they haven't, you know, obviously they're a commercial business, but nothing seems commercial. You can go and you can hang out in the cafe and just have a tea and they're always there and you can chat to them. And anyway, yeah, I would agree with you. I think they're a really positive part of what is a global movement. Now, the vegan food tour, I haven't come across that. Is that something yeah. that you did in Dublin? Yeah, I was invited on it and I was delighted to do it actually because, um, I suppose there's a lot of places that I hadn't um, been to and things like pizza, I had just assumed weren't options for me. And they brought us to an incredible Italian pizzeria called Di Fontanes. Um, and we had the most amazing vegan pizza. And they had, again, these great vegan meat substitutes that when they're blended in, you don't notice the difference. They give you that texture of sausage on a pizza if you want it or salami. And then obviously there's lots of great vegan cheese substitutes as well. Equally, um, they brought us into a bar called Bow Lane where they made us a vegan Baileys, which was really good. And, you know, it's just looking at different things. Like, I think, you know, in years gone by, animals were used in very funny ways. Like, I think a lot of people were surprised when Guinness only in recently became vegan because actually it was filtered through a fish bladder. And you know, if you think about it, that's not actually particularly pleasant, but that might have been done when there wasn't alternative resources. And nowadays we have the technology and we have the education and to do things differently. So, as I said, it's just great that there are options like vegan Baileys. And I kind of feel, you know, why not? 
Something else that you you write about in the article is nutritional yeast. I'd never come yes. across this before either. Tell us about that. Oh yeah, no, it's amazing. Um, nutritional yeast is actually, um, it has vitamin B12 in it as well, which is really important for vegans. But basically nutritional yeast is, it's just, it's a cultured yeast product, but it has that kind of really gorgeous, savory taste of cheese. So if anyone happens to ever be making any sort of a sauce, like if you wanted to make a vegan mac and cheese, um, you would make up your sauce. Like a lot of the time you might, um, for that, I might use like a bit, a bit of coconut milk, maybe some grinded butternut squash. But then when you add um, nutritional yeast, it basically just gives it this really rich kind of cheesy flavor. And you can even top it on stir fries and things like that. And you'll find it in a health food store. And it's just, it, it's absolutely delicious. It's a vegan staple because, you know, sometimes you miss certain flavors and it gives you that gorgeous kind of savory, cheesy flavor in a sauce and um, in a vegan way. It strikes me very much as a sort of diet that it's very easy to have all the ingredients there in the cupboard. They're not, they're, the shelf life is good on them. Do you know, I think in terms of all of your pulses, all of your grains, they're one, they're so cheap. But yes, they are. You can have them all in the background, um, which is great. And actually, I did, I recently did like a cupboard staples list. And as long as you have some pulses, maybe some coconut milk, again, which is all tinned, in your cupboard, and um, maybe some vegan stock cubes. You know, doing a simple weekly shop for your fresh produce, just you know your vegetables. You can make some absolutely gorgeous, whether it's soups, casseroles, curries. Again, I do a lot of brown rice. Um, you know, so yeah, you can have a lot of cupboard staples because unlike um, like meat proteins, pulses don't go stale, so you can stock up if they happen to be on sale. You know, in your supermarket or something like that. Um. You're not worrying about things going off too too quickly. So just to finish up, then we've talked about the Happy Pear, and obviously their yes. website would have a number of different recipes there. Do you have recipes on your website also? Yeah, I have some, and I'm developing it a lot more. Um, I'm actually just back from London. I was overtraining with one of the best vegan restaurants in the world. It's called the Wild Food Cafe, and they would kind of apply a lot of really exciting almost nation star techniques to vegan food and I was over doing vegan chef training with them last week um so yeah there will be lots more recipes coming I suppose I was conscious that before I shared um I wanted a little bit more education a little bit more training just so I could get really really creative and that things would actually work <laughs> because um you know when I suppose with blogging what's quite funny is you go from creating stuff at home and it's sort of fun but when people are actually making things for me it felt important to get a bit of training and um I've also done a 12-week course in raw food mastery, which involves fermentation. So I would do a lot of kombuchas. I'd make my own sauerkraut, kimchi, um, and also coconut yogurts, which, um, you know, coconut or cashew yogurts, which are great substitutes to have at breakfast. So, you know, there's a whole world out there, and I am. I'm definitely I'm really excited to start sharing a little bit more. But up on my website, holly.ie, there is a food section there, and even I have um, my favorite vegan um, places for brunch up in Dublin as well, which is a post that seems to get a lot of traction at the moment and um, also some recipes. But yes, there will be lots more to come. And you're going to be out and about demonstrating your, your skills and expertise in vegan yeah. food. Yeah. 
Which is great. Um, I've actually just come back from last weekend. I was down in Kildare Village and we did two mornings of demonstrations, each to 50 people. And, you know, a lot of people are really interested in it. And in terms of demonstrations, um, it's nice to keep it simple. But also, I think people love just tasting the food. Because for people, if they're changing their shopping, if they're buying different produce, I think it's really important that they can taste and see, actually, I like the taste of that. Because I think first and foremost, politics and everything aside, I think people should eat what to them tastes delicious and I'm delighted I love this kind of food um, and as I said I've kind of put the work into trying to make it as tasty and as delicious as possible because at the heart of it we eat because we love the taste of things it feels and you know as a result of that it's nourishing your friends want to come around for dinner and most importantly for me this is just a delicious healthy way of eating and of course, it's very sociable as well. Eating no matter what you're eating, that's it's a really important part of our culture. I think it's the most important part, actually. And again, as I said, if anyone is sort of embarking on this diet, get your friends involved, get your kids involved. And, um, you know, just roll up the sleeves, get into the kitchen. But what I found was, you know, the more effort I put into my food, the more people were saying, oh, I'd love to go around, actually. And even last night, just um, very quickly, two of my friends um, called around and I whipped up, um, I have a vegan millionaire shortbread that the recipe is actually up on the um, on the blog, but it's um, a layer of shortbread, a caramel, and then chocolate on top. And it, it, it's a lovely feeling when you see people and their hands keep reaching over the table and they keep taking, taking another nibble. And it's very satisfying. And for me, that's the exciting side of vegan food is that I love when people taste something that they might not have thought that they would like and they end up you know, coming back for seconds and thirds. Where I come from, that's known as a caramel square and that would be one of my favourite trebecks. So oh, very when, you, good. when you come to make me the tofu, I'll have some of that as well, please. Exactly. It's all about, it's all about the treats. <laughs> So thanks very much for telling us about it tonight. It's been really interesting to talk to you. As you say, your website is www.holly.ie. People can log on there and get more information about you and your vegan journey and your vegan recipes. And best of luck with all the training that you've had. I'm looking forward to seeing you out and about showcasing all your knowledge and skills. Thank you so much. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Thanks again to Holly. And there's no doubt that the trend towards veganism is definitely increasing. Now, before we finish up tonight, I just want to give a quick shout out to the Love and Some Food and Wine is All You Need event taking place in the Limerick Strand Hotel next week on Friday the 9th of February at 7pm. The evening opens with a welcome drink followed by an amazing four-course wine tasting dinner featuring the best local and seasonal ingredients served in the River Restaurant. And Caroline Rigney, who I visited earlier on the programme tonight, her Curaceous Pork Belly is on the menu, I see. Each course is matched with wines from the renowned Seafried Estates in New Zealand. The dinner is great value because it's only €39. And if you visit strandlimerick.ie, you'll get more details. And we'll do our best to get executive chef Tom Flavin on the show next week. And he can tell us more about that event. In the meantime, that brings us to the end of tonight's show. Be sure to get in touch with all your food and drink news, stories, recipes, etc. Drop me a line anytime to s.noon at live.ie. Thanks so much for tuning in for your company and, of course, to all of my guests this evening, Caroline Rigney and Baby Daniel, Danny Trapp and Holly White. I'll be back at the same time next Tuesday. So until then, bon appétit. 
Thanks for listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. To get in touch with The Best Possible Taste, email Sharon at SharonNoonan.com or tweet Sharon at Queen of Org. As in, Queen of Organisation. Bon appétit. <laughs>